Welcome to Life Source Church. We are so glad you found us. We hope that you will experience God with us as you hear the preaching of the word. Am I on? Check, check, check. Can you hear me? You guys hear me? All right, cool. Well, good morning. Hey, I got to be honest. When Walt said that our hair was the same, there was a moment where I got a little nervous. Um, Because I hadn't checked the mirror in a while, so I got a bit concerned, and then it it all made sense. But hey, happy Independence Day, everybody. Um, You know, it's funny. I noticed, I don't know if anybody else noticed this. I don't know if it's a New England thing. Um, but nobody really says Independence Day. Does anybody say that? Not a single person. Everybody says Happy Fourth. And, you know, the only time I ever hear it is, is on, like, uh, car sales commercials or furniture, days, furniture commercials. It's Independence Day sale coming up. So I just thought I would be a trendsetter in New England, and, and any time anybody said Happy Fourth of July, I said Happy Independence Day this week. And so... You know, I didn't see any weird looks, but I'm seeing some now, so uh, clearly that wasn't, that wasn't really all that, uh, that good. Hey, uh, we, just to let you know where we're at, uh, we have been, if you're a guest here, we've been preaching through uh, a sermon series on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We're in Matthew chapter 5, so uh, before I get talking too long, why don't you go ahead and open up your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be uh, reading uh, from the 33rd verse today on. Um, And while you're turning there, I'll just give you a little bit of an introduction of what we've been doing. We've titled this series for the summer, The Jesus Way. And the reason why we've done that is really we think that that's what Jesus is getting at. Jesus is, in much of the time as he's he's preaching the sermon, he's he's either clearly saying or he's starting to diagnose um, the differences between us as human beings, um, fallen, sinful, how we tend to do things our own way, either because we've learned it or because of our own selfish tendencies or things that we think are going to protect us. And so we've learned how to do our own way of living life in general. And so Jesus kind of exposes that. And then he provides an alternative. He provides his way. And that's where we've gotten um, a poem that, uh, that Walt came up with, this idea that Jesus' way is really God's way. And it's really the best way. And as Christians, we want that way, but we recognize that naturally it's not our way. And so we have a choice at the end of pretty much every message that we're going to walk through as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount. There's multiple moments where you have, and I have, an opportunity to make a choice. We can choose to exchange our way for Jesus' way. It's not going to be easy. It's not natural. But that's the choice that God has laid before us. And so that's where we're going today. And... um, And where we're at in our sermon series is in the 33rd verse. Just before that, Jesus has been doing these things where where just before he introduced marriage and he introduced Jesus' Jesus way or God's way, his high view of marriage. And to do that, uh, he started to address things like uh, adultery and divorce and remarriage. And, And introducing it, he gave this phrase. He said, you have heard that it was said. And he provided a common teaching, a common moral teaching of that day to do that. Um, and, and then he went on and talked about it, and then he does the same thing today, and he introduces a new topic. He introduces the topic of oaths. I'm going to say oaths. I'm going to say vows. I'm going to say promises. They're all synonymous with the same thing that Jesus is driving at. And he starts right off in the 33rd verse, and he says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, i.e., don't lie, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord, meaning do what you say. And that last phrase, to the Lord, is very important. 
The hearers that were there, when they would have heard Jesus say, perform your oaths to the Lord, they would have immediately associated this common teaching that was taught at that time. And they would have immediately thought of a few things in particular. What they would have thought of was things like uh, religious ceremonies, where they might have gone to the temple, and they might have made a sacrifice. And just before they made the sacrifice, or somewhere around that time, they would have made some kind of special oath, and then they would have sacrificed the animal. And they would have been done at that point. Another common one that would have happened at that time would have been another big religious thing, would have been someone who would have wanted to give their life in service to the Lord, either for a period of time or for the rest of their life. A common one would have been called a Nazarite vow. And so they would have gone through these vows and they would have promised to the Lord to give their lives over for a period of time. And, and that phrase to the Lord was really significant, and that's why they really only relegated it to those, time, those kinds of moments, because what they were really doing was they were calling upon the character of God. They weren't only calling upon his judgment, which I think we often think about, at least I do when I read that. I think of the fact that when they're saying, I'm going to do this, I, you know, I swear to you, God, I'm going to do this, or I, I promise to the Lord that I'm going to do this, they were calling upon the fact that God's judgment comes upon them if they don't follow through on it. But what they were also doing is they were calling upon God's character. They were saying, God, you are the one true God. You are the source of all truth. And because of that, when I say that I am going to do this, when I say that this is true, what I'm actually saying is it's as though my words are as trustworthy as your words, as though you said it. And so that would have been a really serious thing. Now, lest you think that this almost only sits in the first century, I will give you some modern-day examples. Now, before I go there, I do want to say this. Unfortunately, God, well, to the good or to the worst, God's name doesn't hold the same kind of value necessarily, culturally speaking, as it did in the first century in the, in the Jewish culture. And so we have what I like to call big G God moments, big G God. And then we have little G God moments. We have these big G God moments. A great example would be something like a courtroom case. You come in, you're a witness in court, you put your hand on the Bible, and somebody reads off an oath that you've got to basically agree to, right? You swear to tell the truth, nothing but the truth. So help you, big G God. Big G God. No, that's a C, but you know what I mean. Um, big G God. And so you're, you're basically, in this modern-day culture, you're basically doing the exact same thing. You're basically saying, I call upon the one true God, the one who is the source of all truth, who is completely trustworthy. And I'm saying that what I'm going to say on this stand is as trustworthy as though the God of the universe said it. Big moment. Big deal. Another moment that comes up that we probably don't always associate, but this would be another modern-day um, cultural equivalent to, you can go ahead and put the, the picture up. This is one of my favorite moments. I like this moment a lot. This was, this is, this is a modern day equivalent of calling on Big G God. Now again, now this doesn't happen in every wedding. Uh, some, again, sometimes some weddings, God might be little G uh, in those. But, but for, for, at least for the Christian, that is a Big G God moment. Now, depending on the vows, you don't always include God's name right in the vows, but you have a pastor or a priest who at some point is going to say, you know, to, 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 to the guy, do you, I do, do you, I do, I do, I do, I do, I do, I do, I do. And then the woman says, do you, well, I do, and do you this, and I do that, and I do, I do, I do, I do. And then eventually you get to this moment where he says, I now pronounce you by the, by the power given to me by who? Big G God. Big G God. I now pronounce you husband and wife. And then that moment right there happens to be the best moment of my wedding. That was the moment 
where I got to kiss my wife for the first time. And uh, it was pretty stinking cool. So I am right at that moment like, yes, going at it. So, all right, we can, we can move on from that picture. Um, you don't have to look at that the whole time. But my hair looked pretty good. All right, so. Um, in that moment that these, that these listeners are there, if we just want to rewind back to the first century, I just want you to think for a moment where these guys are at. At that moment when, God had, when, when Jesus had said to the Lord, I think after the marriage talk, the problem that we had last week and Jesus had given them last week, there probably would have been some big eyes and they probably hadn't gone away yet. Probably would have been a whole lot of people very uncomfortable at that moment, very, um, very guilty even at that moment. And then Jesus turns the gears and introduces a new, a new topic. And in doing so, when he added that phrase to the Lord, I kind of imagine that the people there would have kind of settled down a little bit. They might have got a little bit more comfortable because they would have thought, oh, oaths to the Lord. I got that covered. I took care of that at the temple last week. I took care of that at the temple last month. I'm okay. You know what? I haven't ever made a, a vow to the Lord for my, for my life for service. So, so doing that thing, I'm okay. I haven't broken that one. Finally, one I'm going to be able to check off as Jesus goes through this. I, I got this one down. But what Jesus is going to do is he's not, he's not done talking. He's going to say something else. Notice what he says in verse 34. He says, but I say to you, do not swear at all. Wait a minute. Again, I can only, just, I can only imagine the readers or the listeners at the time, a bunch of heads, doing this. Don't swear at all. Wait a minute. Don't even swear to the Lord. I mean, don't swear at religious vows. I mean, I mean that's in the Old Testament. I know God, God said that. Are you telling me I'm not supposed to, to make any vows at all? Well, Jesus doesn't end there. He says, don't swear at all, neither by heaven. And as soon as he classified it with that phrase, immediately the listener at that time would have understood something else. See, when he said to the Lord, that was, that was our equivalent of a big G moment, big G, I can't, I can't keep doing that, big G moment uh, back then where it would have been religious, it would have been very specific, it would have been, it would have been to a particular moment when you knew what you were going to do, you were going to follow through on, you knew how serious it was. But for all other moments, what had happened, there was a common teaching in the day that basically said, listen, for, for the normal days of life, for the normal interaction with your fellow Jew, you know, same class level, you know, not talking to the king, because you might call on God to talk to the king, but anybody else, you know, a normal everyday interaction, let's say you want to buy a goat from your neighbor and you say, I promise I'll pay, I promise to heaven, I will pay five installments of X amount of money over the next five weeks. And so you would have made, what they would have done is they would have substituted this, this name, they would have substituted the Lord for something else because let's be honest, when it comes to making an oath in everyday life, it's not always convenient to follow through, is it? It's not only is it not only always convenient, sometimes you really just don't want to do what you said you were going to do, correct? Furthermore, not only sometimes do you not really want to do what you said you were going to do, thinking you were going to do it, sometimes you just want someone to let you do what you want to do, even though you have no intention of actually doing exactly what you told them you were going to do. Worse yet, sometimes you're telling somebody you know something is true, but you actually know it's not. And you're going to use 
some other way, some kind of a statement to give the, the cloak of trustworthiness. And so the Jews at that time, this was commonly taught, as a matter of fact, being lawful. When it's totally true and totally trustworthy and you're going to follow through on it, and these really special moments, use the Lord's name. But on every other, everyday interaction, you need to substitute God's name. And as a matter of fact, it's even lawful for you to do that, even so to the point that if you lie, that's okay, because you didn't use the Lord's name. And so Jesus says, don't swear at all, neither by heaven. Well, let's just walk with the first century Jew that is hearing this through their mind as he said this. Why can't I, why can't I swear by heaven, Jesus? Well, for it's God's throne. Wait a minute. Good Jew, us, we would understand, okay, that's where God resides. So if that's where God resides, then that's, that is the holy of holies, the holy of holies in heaven. That throne represents who? But the true and holy God. And so if that throne represents the true and holy God, if you call upon heaven, then what are you really doing but calling upon the one true God who is completely trustworthy and so when you say, I swear to heaven, what are you doing? You're still calling upon the one true God saying your words are just as trustworthy as if the one true God himself said it, and he is trustworthy. Few people are getting a little uncomfortable at this point. He doesn't stop there. He goes on. He says, neither by the earth. Well, Jesus, why can't I swear by the earth? I mean, if I can't swear by heaven, why not the earth? Well, it's, it's God's footstool. Oh, that's right. I totally forgot who God is. God is an ever-present God. Not only is God an ever-present God, he's a creator God. And so, oh, you're right. When I call upon the earth, I'm talking about the creator God's earth who's present everywhere. And so I'm really still talking about that God. So when I call upon the earth, I'm really calling upon the character of the creator of the earth. So I'm still calling upon his holy character saying, my words are just as trustworthy as if the creator God himself, the ever-present one, said these. And he is completely trustworthy. He goes on. Neither by the earth, but nor by Jerusalem. Now, again, first century Jew, Jerusalem was really special to God's plan. To say Jerusalem, that would have been a really noble way of saying, I swear by something. So any first century Jew would have thought, yeah, this is really not, this is a good one to, to substitute. Surely this is acceptable. And they said, no, 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 for it's the city of the great king. Oh, wait a minute. Now we're calling upon authority, right? Whose king is that? It's God's king. So wait a minute. If I'm calling upon God's king, who am I really calling upon again? God, who's the one true trustworthy one. So if I say that my words are as, are as trustworthy as if they were, they were calling upon the character of the great king, I'm really calling upon the character of, of the king of all kings, God, and that's his king. And so I'm still saying my words are just as trustworthy as if God himself had said them. I think at this point, a lot of people are really uncomfortable. And then Jesus goes even further. Verse 36, he says, Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. Really what they're saying is, Jesus is saying, don't swear upon your own life. Well, I'm sure there's people there saying, well, I understand I can't call upon heaven. That's God's. I know earth. That's God's. I know the king of Jerusalem. That's that's." That's, that's God's, I got that, but, but I know that I, when I say my own self, I know, I, I know I'm not going to be that trustworthy, so I know that it's not really that, 
that trustworthy for me to call upon myself, but I know some people will at least give me a little bit of wiggle room when I say that. Well, well surely I should be able to say my own life. And Jesus says, well, well, think about that for a minute, won't you? Do you really control your destiny? Who's really in charge of your life? Who really is the sovereign, your creator? Did you set, the, set your life in motion? Do you really control your life and the ultimate destination of your life? Good first century Jew would have understood, no, I don't. So a good first century Jew would have understood, oh, I'm calling again upon the one who is in control of my life, the sovereign of my life, the sovereign of the universe. I'm calling upon the true character of God. My words that I'm saying right now, as I make this promise, I swear upon my own life, it's still, I swear that my words are as trustworthy as the one true God who is completely trustworthy. Now, they're really uncomfortable at this point. And I want to bring it back to the 21st century for just a moment. What the first century Jew was doing, although it sounds a little silly to us, we would think that is like so not our culture. We don't, I mean, to even think in religious context, because this all sounds pretty religious to me, that's not how we often kind of think. But I would say to you, we have big G God moments, like court and marriage, but then we have little G God moments the rest of our life. We have, we have oaths and everyday promises just like a first century Jew would do. And we, instead of using big G God, we use little G God. And sometimes we'll actually say God, but we don't mean the big G God, we mean the little G God. And then, and then other times we'll just not even use God's name at all. We'll substitute it for something else. We'll say, you know, I swear upon my life. We might do it just like that last, uh, that last uh, statement in verse 36. We might also say, you know, I swear upon my mother's grave or I swear upon my, you know, whoever's grave you want to call upon as, as though that's noble. But we might even just say simply, I promise, I promise I'll do this. And you know, really what we're doing is exactly what the first century Jew was doing. The first century Jew knew that it's not always that convenient to follow through on what you said. It's not always, and most of the time, it's not easy to promise that you're going to do something you say you're going to do. Worse yet, it's not always going to be something you want to do, and so you want an out. And so if you just use little g God, or if you don't even say God's name and just kind of use the, some, some magic, magical arrangement of words, you might get away with it, and it might be okay, and you don't have to feel bad about it at all. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Don't you understand what you're really doing? Don't you understand that what you're really doing is you're trying to some, in some way cover for your selfishness? Don't you understand that you're in some way trying to cover for your past failures and your potential future failures? Don't you understand that what you're really trying to do is you're trying to, to figure out how you can make yourself more trustworthy. You're trying to cover for your lack of trustworthiness. Jesus says, that's not my way. This is my way. Verse 37. But let your yes, one word, one word, be yes. Let your no, one word, be no. For anything more than these is from the evil one. You, you want to know Jesus' way? 
I say what I mean. Repeat that. I say what I mean. I mean what I say. Uh, yeah, I don't hear anything. I say what I mean. I mean what I say. This is Jesus' way. How in the world do we get to that place? See, what Jesus is saying is everything we say has the power, has the truth potential to actually be as though we're taking an oath. Every word that comes out of our mouth has the potential to have the truth value as though we were taking an oath to God. How in the world is that possible? Well, well this is Jesus' way. Live honestly, transparently, as though everything you said has the same truth value as you were taking an oath. Live honestly and transparently so that everything you say has the truth value as if you were taking an oath. Now, I don't know about you, but when I, when I, when I think about that, and I was, I was working through that statement, as simple as that sounds, I say what I mean, I mean what I say. As simple as that is, that is, that is very unnatural, and that is not simple at all, because think about it, I know where you're at, you're thinking, Jeff, if I really do that, people are actually going to know who I am. Yeah, people are actually going to know who you are. If I do that, people are actually going to know when I, when I didn't actually want to do what I said I was going to do. Yeah, if you really live honestly and transparently, you're going to have to be real about that. Jeff, if that's the case, I might actually have to tell somebody after the fact that, that I actually lied. Yeah, you will have to. Worse yet, you... you Here's a thought. You might actually get to the point when you can't make a promise at all because you realize, wow, I really don't mean that at all. So if I say this, all I'm really going to try and do is just lie so that I can get X, Y, and Z. And so, oh my goodness, that would be great, wouldn't it? To actually avoid the guilt of lying after. I think this is really where we're at. You and I, we've got a heart problem. You and I, we, we, have, a, we have a tendency to live a certain way. We have this tendency to live our way where we cover for our selfishness, our failings, and our lack of trustworthiness with words. And I think Jesus wants us to go someplace else. And I think this is where it is. And it's going to be a diagnosis on your part. If you're willing to do this over the next week, here's, here's what I would like to propose to you to try. There's going to be a moment, you probably don't even realize how often you say, I promise or I swear to whoever it is or whatever you like to put on to those words. You probably have no idea how often you make oaths. So just be aware this next week. And the next time you, you catch yourself doing it, even if it seems like it's, like it's in the middle of a, one of those, one of those uh, just a joke back and forth and you say something like half chuckling, I swear it's true. Stop. And in your head, ask yourself, do I really mean what I'm saying? Do I really mean what I'm saying? And if you, if you are willing to do that, you're going to get to a level where you actually have to evaluate where your heart is in that moment. See, because I think this is the real, the real gist of this issue. As a Christian, can you really cover your words or cover your selfishness your failings, your lack of trustworthiness with your words. Can you really do that? Think about it for a moment. What does the gospel say? What is our problem apart from Christ? We are what? 
were sinners. And what does that say? It says that the Son of God had to die a gruesome and horrible death on the cross because of how sinful we are. And the potential for our sin is that bad. And then be, when you become a Christian, God, that's God's solution. We, we respond to Christ. And then as a Christian, we still have this problem. We have this thing where we like to live as though we're still apart from Christ. We call that living in the flesh. Yeah, when we live in the flesh, what are we really doing? We're living out our sinful potential as Christians. And if that's the case, what is that really, what are we really saying? What we're really saying is in our hearts, we're acting as though Christ's death has not exposed our sinfulness. And so when we make vows, what we're really doing is we're actually saying, listen, functionally, I can still cover for my own sin and my own lack of trustworthiness. But this is what Christ says. No, 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 no. I exposed that. A great book that I would recommend anybody reading is a gospel primer for Christians. And in verse, one of the sections is called it's the reflections upon the cross in a Christian's life and how the impact it makes. And one of them is, is called Exposed by the Cross, and I'm reading part two of that. Listen to this, and, and, and we'll move on. The cross also exposes me before the eyes of other people, informing them of the depth of my depravity. If I wanted others to think highly of me, I would conceal the fact that a shameful slaughter of the perfect Son of God was required that I might be saved. And I would propose to you that that's functionally what we're doing when we make oaths. But when I stand at the foot of the cross and am seen by others under the light of the cross, I am left uncomfortably exposed before their eyes. Indeed, the most humiliating gossip that could ever be whispered about me is blared from Golgotha's hill, and my self-righteous reputation is left in ruins in the wake of its revelations. With the worst facts about me thus exposed to the view of others, I find myself feeling that I truly have nothing to hide. Thankfully, the more exposed I see that I am by the cross, the more I find myself opening up to others about the ongoing issues of sin in my life. Why would anyone be shocked to hear my struggles with past and present sin when the cross already told them that I am a desperately sinful person? And the more open I am in confessing my sins to fellow Christians, the more I enjoy the healing of the Lord in response to their grace-filled counsel and prayers. Experiencing richer levels of Christ's love and companionship with such saints, I give thanks for the gospel's role in forcing my hand towards self-disclosure and the freedom that follows. Could I just propose, I don't know, I know for me this is where I'm at. What if, when you ask yourself, do I really mean what I'm saying? And you realize that you don't. What if you get, at, at that level, what you realize you're doing is you're actually functionally in a place where in your heart you are not surrendered to the Lord. What happens if you're at that place in your heart where you are actually thinking functionally you still cover for your sin, your failings, and your lack of trustworthiness? And functionally, you are not living in the reality that you've already been exposed. You are free to no longer hide. And not only that, but you have been covered. The gospel is not just exposing our sin. Jesus not only 
exposed who we are on the cross, but he took the full wrath and penalty for who we are on the cross. We are freed, and not only are we forgiven, there's no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus, but he has come inside us, he has come to live in us, and he's given us power to no longer hide, but to now live freely, honestly, transparently, so that everything we say can have the truth potential, the truth value, as if we were taking an oath. Repeat it after me. I say what I mean. I mean what I say. Will you, this week, be willing to ask yourself, when you catch yourself making a promise, catch yourself making an oath, ask yourself, do I really mean this? And be willing to let your, be open to let God expose your heart. And if you see that what you're really doing is covering for yourself, will you just lay your heart before the Lord and will you let Him be who He are, is to you and cover your sin for you and cover you and will you move forward there? Will you move forward actually saying what you mean? Will you be honest and transparent in that moment and actually say the truth Mean what you say, because when you do, you will live in, under, covered by the love of Christ through the cross of Christ. See, my way is to cover for my sin, my selfishness, my failings, my lack of trustworthiness with, with words. Jesus' way is to live honestly and transparently, knowing that I'm exposed and knowing that I'm covered completely by the cross of Christ so I'm free not to hide, so that everything I say has the power, has the truth value, as if I were making an oath to the Lord. What will your way be? What will your way be? Let me pray for you. Father, I... Uh, I thank you for Jesus' words here. I thank you for the Sermon on the Mount, and I thank you for just clearly giving us direction of how uh, we have this freedom uh, in our relationship with Christ as your kids now to get direction from the Son of God about what it means to live as your kids. And, and we have this freedom uh, to, to live as citizens of your kingdom here in this world. And, and we're not left to our own self-effort anymore. We're not left to our own work of trying to cover for our sin and our failures. You exposed that. You covered that. We are completely under you if we are in Christ. And God, I just pray for you to do a work in our hearts this week. Just help us to move forward, just knowing that your spirit is with us and you want to empower us and you want to change us and make us experience the reality of who we are united to you in Christ. And so I pray that you just help us, each of us here, are your, your children to just be willing to, to do heart surgery, to, to actually ask, do I really mean what I'm saying? And, and to trust you to move forward in grace, whatever, those, whatever happens as a result when, you act, when we actually move forward, uh, meaning what we say and saying what we mean. And God, I pray for anybody who's not a Christian here, I pray that they would understand that right now the best they have when it comes to trying to cover for their sin and their failures and their lack of trustworthiness is their words, and I hope it's been very clear that they have no way of actually covering it. That before a holy and righteous God, they're totally exposed. And because of that, they need what you have provided through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for, their, for, their, for them, that they could actually make a decision to receive 
his work for them on their behalf and they could become Christians today. And God, I pray if there's anyone here that is in that place that they would just be willing to come down to me or one of the pastors or somebody in the church and just talk to them about that. God, we just want to come before you. We surrender our hearts to you, thankful for who we are in your son, and uh, we worship you uh, now. In Christ's name, amen.